Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 212. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at VJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John, I'm doing great. We are pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, Nick. Hey, I just wanted to mention that our second site, graph.nerd-journey.com, is now live. That's the knowledge graph and link to notes version of our main pages show notes that we developed to make it a little bit easier to explore our episodes, uh, link concepts, uh, link guest mentions, and you know specific topics that we've mentioned just to be able to cross-reference maybe the other spots where those things have been discussed. So we're always interested in feedback on that site. If you have any, please let us know. And with that in mind, let's get on to today's episode. This is shockingly the first of a two-part episode with uh, Leah White, who is, I should say up front, no relation. Yeah, just get that out of the way again. She is in recruitment and sourcing for Veeam. In part one, what are you looking forward to, John? I think that one of the really interesting things that she mentioned that I think that people should listen out to listen out for is what disruptions happen in her life that she wasn't expecting but needed to adjust to and adjust her career to. I think you talked about as that as uh, when life happens, right? Yeah. Well, I think those were her words. When life happens, you have to redefine success. And it's a great story of how she was able to do that. Yeah, it's really interesting because I don't think, you know, obviously, or maybe not so obviously, she didn't go to school to become a recruiter. And that's something that just happened. And that's a really fascinating story. I think the transition to another job, she made the joke about finding a job with a meal plan. And that is an interesting story and interesting background of having a job with a meal plan. I think that was uh, really cool. And then I think the last thing for me was finding another pattern in her career path, which was the emphasis on flexibility, being able to do multiple things and not being locked into any one thing. But with that all in mind, let's get on to part one of our discussion with Leah White. Episode number 212. Leah White, welcome to Nerd Journey. Hey, Nick. Hey, John. My absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. I just want to say up front, no relation. That we know of yet. That we know of. Yeah, we just needed to get that one out of the way. Let's start by having you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do today, Leah. I am currently enjoying the amazing opportunity of being a sourcing recruiter for Veeam. I've been at Veeam for a little bit more than a year. I work on roles that have been identified as needing additional recruitment support. So that's roles across the U.S., across Canada as well. I live right outside Houston, Texas, where I work remotely. 
married with three kiddos. Anaya is 15, Asher is 10, and Big Asa is 5. Well, I have a 13-year-old, so I can identify with some of that, but I don't I don't have three. I know John has one, so he's getting there. Yeah, I, I'm in the exact same boat. I have a 10-month-old. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other boat, John. <laughs> Does sourcing generally mean the same across the industry when it's applied to someone in your role? I, I don't know the answer to that. No, that's a great question. I get that a lot. And, and often if someone asks me, what do I do? I just say I'm a recruiter because people recognize that title. But a sourcer is actually someone who's going to seek out passive talent. And so a recruiter, generally you're working with a lot of candidates that have applied, but a sourcer is going to seek out prospects that could potentially be a best fit for a specific role that you need to fill. Okay. So you might be attending events. You may be spending a lot of time in LinkedIn. You might be networking. You might be asking for referrals, but you're really sourcing talent for a role that needs to be filled. Is that something that happens a little bit later in the process if there hasn't been like a, a certain quality or diversity or quantity of people applying? Or is it just does it just happen all the time? It's really a great question. It really usually is dependent upon the role. So if there is a role that maybe is going to be hired in mass volume that people generally are going to express interest in, in an, on a continuous basis, you usually don't need sourcing for that. But if you're looking for a niche role or a higher level role, or if you have been having a role posting out for a while and you're not really seeing the quality of candidates that you want to come in, then might say, let's go ahead and, and do some additional recruitment or in in my situation, I often am sourcing for diversity. So if I'm not seeing a lot of applicants that are gender diverse, if we don't have a lot of women, okay, applying for a role, we're going to say, you know, we need to get out there and find some some women to to potentially fit this role. So it's really you're seeking a specific need. That's when you're usually going to pull in sourcing for additional help. Yeah, that's helpful because I had heard the, the term sourcing, but only in the context of someone is sourcing out a, a legal representative to help with some kind of agreement <laughs> inside the company. So that's yes. not to be confused with sorcerer. That's a different, different discussion. Hey, you know, we, we can also go by that term as well. <laughs> We've used it on a few teams. <laughs> we have, but you know what? Sourcers are not used, you know, across every organization, you know, because that is a, that's an additional expense. Okay. So you're usually going to see sourcers on teams where you have, you know, larger organizations that have the budget for that, or if there's a certain level, you know, that that need is required. So I can't say that you're going to see a lot of sourcers, you know, in across the board in every industry. Oh, that's great context. We know that not everyone comes out of the gate into sourcing and recruitment. So it's time to go back into the way back machine, Leah, because <laughs> it's not like you got a degree in recruiting. Tell us a little bit Not about what you all. studied and where we go from there. Whew, well, let's talk about that, Nick, because I graduated with so many credits. One would have thought that I would have earned multiple degrees, but sadly, I did not. So let's go way back, okay? You know, I, I really did what many of us do. I had a predetermined set of acceptable, honorable occupations, right, that I was going to venture into. So, of course, engineering some type of a medical focus or, or law, right? So all of those, you know, those amazing jobs to have. And so I started off at the University of Oklahoma. I was recruited there 
through a minority STEM recruitment program that was running at the time. I decided to do chemical engineering, but I did have a minor for pre-med just in case, right? Just in case I was going to move over into medicine. I did, you know, the internship with Exxon. And at the time at school, I had one person that I knew going from Texas to Oklahoma, Miranda Furman, and she worked for the athletic housing department. She got me a job as a desk assistant and I later transitioned into a resident advisor, but it was more kind of like a, almost a, a bodyguard, right? I, kind of, I lived at um, athletic housing. I was making sure that everyone was safe. Is everyone, you know, adhering to the curfew? A lot of student management. And I really became an advisor for a lot of our female underclassmen that were student athletes. And I enjoyed that. It was my first opportunity working with students. Now, life happened. I met my husband there and he played basketball and lo and behold, he decided when he graduated, he wanted to play overseas. So we moved to France. We spent some time in Germany. And so of course, this really threw a wrench in my plan, guys. That's not what I had on my list of plans to do. And so when we lived overseas, I was trying to figure out, well, what can I do with my education? Because I can't do engineering here. You have to really be in class for that. And the only program that they had that I could do. I'm dating myself. It was by mail at the time. There was no online. I had to, you know, mail everything back was a psychology program. So that's how I picked up a minor in psychology. Now, when he was done playing overseas, we relocated to Louisiana, which is where he was from. And so I then enrolled at LSU. It was too tough to transition my engineering credits plus my new psychology classes from OU to LSU into a like curriculum, I would have had to do so much more time. So I went back to my list, right? And my next thing on my list, right, was, okay, well, let's do some field of medicine. So let's do that. So I picked up that kinesiology degree and thought, okay, well, maybe sports medicine, maybe therapy. I'm going to be around sports, right? It's going to be part of the life. Let's do that. That makes sense, right? So started that, really enjoyed it. My husband transitioned to to coaching. He had a um, an AAU program. We had a club team, really got involved with them. Um, once again, I'm enjoying students again, but these are younger students really, you know, being a mentor, I, I kind of handled the, the business and he of course did all of the coaching. And then life happens again. I had my first child. And so my medical plan didn't make sense anymore. How am I going to do 10 years of medical school, right? Do residency. Who's going to take care of our children? Okay, he's traveling. He's gone. You probably should have a parent at home if you're going to have some children, right? So, you know, at this point in time, I really had to redefine what success looked like for me. Okay, it wasn't just my original old goals. I was chasing those old goals. I had to define what would success look like. I wanted to figure out what was going to work for my family, what would allow me to not have to, you know, miss any of those non-negotiables, which would be time with my kids. I wanted to, you know, be at every school function, right? Be at every, at every program, at every game. And so I began to look at opportunities that would allow me to maybe, if we relocated, I could move from one location to another and be able to do that seamlessly. And so I looked at opportunities and that's where I got my first exposure to real recruitment at the University of Phoenix. I initially was going there because I thought, hey, I could get another degree because these two weren't going to rock the right way that I planned for them to do. So let's go ahead and see what, what I could do at UOP. So enroll there. 
started working on an MBA, but really enjoyed recruitment. I was recruiting students. I was attending career fairs, got involved with a lot of career development. And these were adult students who were looking for second chance opportunities. So their first career didn't work out. So they're looking for something else. And I could totally relate to that because I took quite a few pivots, right? As life made some new pathways for me and that I thoroughly enjoyed. You know, I was able to use my experience there, really advising students, really helping them do career research, talking about, okay, let's think about your lifestyle. How will this fit in with your lifestyle? So I really was an advocate you know, for those, for those students that I recruited and I'd be able to, you know, you know, see them walk across the stage when they graduated. And that was so fulfilling. So quick comment. I like the way you continuously define success, not only f- from a professional level, but also from a personal level. So life success or, or lifestyle definition of success And I think that's really cool how you defined it one time with your list and then you had to change the list, but you just kept iterating on that process, which is a lesson that all of us could take away from this. I'm really curious if the recruitment firm or the recruitment job, did they train you in the ways of recruitment and what they wanted you to do? Or were there some relatable skills from your from when you were kind of advising the young ladies uh, that you mentioned earlier? Of course, of course. It really was a blend. I mean, we had, of course, you know, whenever you start a new job, you have that training, right? But what I found, what made me successful at my job was not the training that I received to, you know, get someone to believe in the product offering. It was really about earning trust. You know, each student that I recruited, I genuinely believe that they enrolled because of me. They trusted me. They trusted that I was an advocate for them. They trusted that we did the research together. Okay, let's take a look at, you know, what are you interested in? Okay, well, after exploring this, that might not be the best fit for you. Let's take a look at this. You know, in in many situations, students that I advised, they actually didn't start because they really felt like the advice that I was giving them, hey, this wasn't going to be the best you know, fit for you or this, the time wasn't right. And so, yes, I really felt like that advisement hat that I had from working, you know, as a, as a resident advisor in college really helped me to connect with those adult students. So yes, great question. Absolutely. I'm wondering about the process of actually iterating on what success looked like for you in your personal life, because I know that when I abandoned my first uh, college major, it was fairly traumatic. In retrospect, it shouldn't have been, but that's only from the wisdom of distance, right? But you had like a couple different things lined up, more than a couple, right? Chemical engineering, which is, you know, a tough road in and of itself, that's generally a role that requires, you know, becoming like a a professional engineer afterwards. So just the degree isn't enough. It's almost like you have to do some, some time as an apprentice. And, and get licensed afterwards pre you know with a backup of pre-med <laughs> which is a whole other career path i'm just wondering if you had a similar experience to me which was as you realized that you had to walk away from something it was a traumatic thing or if it was very easy for you to walk away from and just you know there was something in your past that allowed you to do that a little bit more easily 
Well, I appreciate you asking that question, John. And and it wasn't an easy thing. And really, I had to rely on my faith because, you know, I was a person who really at that point had been successful at everything that I'd done, you know, as a student, you know, I was that most likely to succeed girl in the yearbook. And so I had, you know, a plan for these things that I was going to accomplish. And so when they didn't work out. So I went to, you know, engineering, had that that opportunity to do an internship at Exxon, was the only freshman from the University of Oklahoma to even land, you know, an internship that year. And so those were accomplishments. And I thought, yes, I'm on the right track. This is what I'm doing. But I really had to accept moving from one pathway to another because I had to evaluate what was more important. And for my husband, we're talking about a career that really has a shelf life on it physically. Okay, so for him to be able to go and play professionally, I can't say if you could just, you know, wait about 10 years, okay, until I'm done, and then try to get out there that that can't happen. But I knew that there were other things that I could be successful at. And that was a compromise that we had to make as a family. And so it was tough. Absolutely. I had that, you know, that identity of wait, but that's what I was going to be. And who am I going to be now if I'm not going to be that engineer, right? And then, okay, if I'm not going to be that doctor, but it was, I would say, a clear decision, especially when we had children, because the one thing I wasn't going to sacrifice was that time with them. It wasn't going to be a situation where my husband was playing overseas or another state, and I would have to say, hey, could someone come in, right, and help with the children because I can't be there for you at your recital, you know, Anaya, or I can't be here, you know, with you to help you with your homework. That just was a clear, I thought, decision, you know, and I had to just really have a different mindset, like you said, and what success would look like for my family, because it would no longer be just my personal success. Did you have a little bit more of, you know, warning, like heading into the relationship and marriage? Sometimes people, when they're going through that process, they're evaluating things like, oh, okay, my partner is going to be, I know that he's going to be leaving. I know that playing professionally in any kind of sports means that at any given time, we might be moving around the U.S. internationally. And so did you have more of a ramp up, a warning, or was it still pretty sudden? No, I think it was a bit of a, a blend of both. I knew in the relationship, because he played basketball at the University of Oklahoma, that this was what he's going to do. He's going to play basketball, right? And so that was known. He's always had um, a career that required him to travel. And now he, he coaches, you know, the D1 level and is, is an assistant for University of Houston. And so it's still the same thing. He's gone all of the time. But I think you have to really have a perspective of being able to not just look at how you identify yourself as an individual. You know, it can be really difficult because you can say, well, you know, hey, I, I haven't achieved the things that I plan to achieve, you know, individually. And it, and it can create, you know, even issues, right, in, in, in your family, you know, lifestyle. And so being able to, I think, have that perspective as early as possible, you know, really sets you up for a better likelihood for success. And I can tell you, it's something that you usually don't think about it at a young age. You know, you're planning a career pathway for yourself. That's what you do. When you go in for career advisement, the counselor doesn't talk to you about, you know, your relationships. That's not part of that conversation, right? But that's really real life. When you are choosing your career pathway, you're choosing one that's going to complement your lifestyle, you know, not just what's a part of that sequence of courses that you're going to complete. It's really interesting. I mean, even having gone through school myself, like I never thought to myself, like, 
what the complications of being in a relationship with an upperclassman would be because they're going to leave, you know, <laughs> yes, and yes. unless they happen to be doing something that, you know, can be right around the campus for one or two or three or however many more years, that's a complication. Absolutely. <laughs> a pivot. <laughs> yeah. So fascinating. I think that having those experiences and that mindset is what ended up making you so successful in your recruitment of students. And like you said, you you felt that they came to the school because of you. They trusted you. And it sounds like you have internalized this process so much that you imparted that to those people as well. I try. I try. I think it's really important to be as transparent as possible. These are huge decisions. Someone deciding to, you know, take a degree program or take a new job, that's huge. That affects their life. And it's only fair to be able to have those real conversations of, have you thought about this? You know, how will this work? Do you see this happening long term? You know, are there any obstacles? Are there any obstacles that we need to discuss? Right now, it makes a big difference. I think it's only fair to to visit that. And and I tell folks, you know, today in my job, ask as many questions as you can throughout the hiring process. Raise your hand and say, hey, I'd like to speak with someone that would be on my team. I want to get a real life perspective. You want to learn everything that you can. So when you set foot in the door, you know, as a new employee, there's no regret. <laughs> I don't want you to come back and say, this is not what I thought it was going to be. You know, it should be as close to, of course, there's always surprises, right? But it should be as close to what you're as ex- you're expecting as possible. And that's fair. Yeah. Do we always spend enough time actually researching that when we're looking for a new job? Or do we have blinders on to what some of the landmines could be, even though the grass might be slightly greener? Absolutely. It's really interesting because you've gone through this process of, you know, kind of having to do this evaluation for yourself, which, you know, helped you in your first recruiting job. I'm wondering if that kind of carried through to the next step or whatever that transition was from University of Phoenix. Did you get recruited away or did you uh, leave again for uh, different reasons? I was actually very comfortable and I had this running joke that I really enjoyed my job, but all it was missing was a meal plan. It was, it was missing a meal plan, right? My, my husband was always coming home talking about, you know, what good food he had. And I was like, well, I'd like to have a meal plan for my job. I'll take some of that too. It, there you go. The meal plan, right? It's a great part. We had a family friend and she really became a mentor to me. She kind of taught me some of the basic external recruiting principles, even though I, I got the MBA and I got the HR graduate certificate from University of Phoenix, there was, you know, a facet of recruitment that I hadn't experienced yet. And so I got to do some independent contract work with her, small stuff, you know, I had a lot of HR related projects. Everything was was contract work. I had some small stints also with various agencies. And this was just a little supplemental income here or there. But I got to learn the different workings, you know, different tools, different platforms, different you know, strategies, different goals, uh, you know, with these various organizations and projects. And that was really helpful. You know, it wasn't anything that was going to give me longevity, but it gave me a taste of that. And then life steps in, right? 
the University of Phoenix decided to close the campus that I was working at. They decided that, hey, you know, it was too much money to spend all of this, you know, cost for expenses for brick and mortar. Let's just focus on the bread and butter and do online coursework. And so, you know, I was looking for, okay, gosh, well, you know, I guess I need to to look at some other things. And lo and behold, even though everyone at my campus was affected, I had leadership that really looked out for others, even though they were personally affected. Uh, Chad Fuller still texts me happy birthday to this day, right? But Lee Melanson referred me to a personal friend at the Louisiana Culinary Institute that was looking for support in admissions, right? And look, that's the meal plan, right? The meal plan that I've been talking about, right? At the Culinary Institute. So I was able to enjoy good food, you know, that the students cooked. Hey, Miss Lee, I made this today. Or, you know, we, we would eat with the students you know, every day. And, and that I thought was, you know, just God's sense of humor there. And, and I really, I really loved it. Now, this opportunity really, I think, expanded my knowledge and skill set abundantly. It was a private institution. And so here, everyone wore many hats. I was the admissions director for a time. I was the internship director for a time, really growing and sourcing partnerships uh, really nurturing those, probably the most recognized internship program that I, I brought to the school uh, was, was, was Disney. So we had our students go to Disney for, you know, the summer and, and, and had these culinary opportunities. I was a career development director for some time. Um, I was able to partner with different restaurants, different employers, bring in different clients. I taught psychology. So there's that minor just popping up with some use again. I taught small business development, some HR courses because we added on an associate's degree that would help students go the business track in case they wanted to open their own restaurant. So I got to really use all of these things that I'd learned from all the other hats that I'd worn different places. And, and I really enjoyed it. But again, I'm on that other end of recruitment, that career development, working with adult students, again, some more career pivoters, a lot of folks that had their own families, and they were trying to, you know, to follow their dream of being a chef or a business owner or, or a culinarian in some other facet. And I really enjoyed that. And I don't believe that I would have had an opportunity to do all of those different things if it was with a larger organization. So grateful to, you know, April, Charlie and Mr. Keith that they believed in me, but gave me that freedom. You know, they needed the help, of course, you know, there was so much to do, but they gave me the freedom to be able to say, hey, what do you think we need? And okay, well, let's see if you can do it. Okay, well, okay, let's try that too. Okay, here's some, the freedom and, you know, let's try to, to see if that'll work. And of course, not everything worked, right? You know, but it really allowed me to grow and expand my skill set. So I have to ask, was that freedom something that was discussed when you interviewed there, if you recall? I mean, was that something that you were seeking, wanting? I, I don't know if if at the time you knew enough to ask about that. Uh, I was just really curious. I didn't. And you know what? At the time, there was a little bit of fear, right? I'd gotten laid off the campus closed. And so at that point, I was open to pretty much anything, right? And then there's that meal plan. (laughs) There was just the fun piece of that, you know, culinary, you know, aspect that I thought was just so exciting. And so really, I didn't ask a lot of these questions. A lot of these opportunities 
were given to me once I got there and they saw that I was able to probably do them. We would be able to identify some gaps and I'd raise my hand and say, okay, well, I, I, I'd like to try to do that, you know, or sometimes things were, were asked of me. And then as I was able to successfully do one thing, then my scope, you know, would broaden and I would shift from one area to another. And I would be a part of the hiring process, maybe to replace that area that I'm working in. And then I would move on to another. And so it really was a progression over time where I moved from one department to another, grew it, and then moved to to a different path in the organization. That's a chance to learn the whole business stream, business processes from every area, how they connect. That's pretty cool. Thank you. Had a great time. Now, having sat on the other side, as a recruiter, can you identify how you would have gone about identifying somebody coming into a situation like that? Is that something that uh, hiring managers or organizations kind of look for? Hey, we need somebody who is going to be able to do this like kind of minimum job function, but the bonus would be if they were also able to grow in these directions and they've shown signs of growing beyond their initial job description in the past. Absolutely. That happens quite often, particularly in our lower level roles or junior entry level roles. You're often gauging potential because the the point is that you're wanting to invest in someone that you're hiring. So it is, do I see that you have the potential for growth? And a lot of that is kind of scouted in the conversation, asking those questions. Where do you see yourself in five years? What is your ideal role? What are your interests? And so you're trying to gauge whether or not this is someone that really is going to work on their personal growth in the organization. So very common. Whenever I'm speaking with individuals, I'm looking for that adaptability, that passion, you know, that purpose, and that willingness to continue to grow that skill set. That's amazing. Thanks for that insight. Really appreciate it. Of course. I'd like to ask Leah just a little bit about the internships, because I think you mentioned you help launch some internships programs. Can you just spend a couple minutes talking to us about why companies want that and see value in having internship programs? I'm not sure everybody knows the answer to that. Absolutely. And I'd say there's multiple reasons. So if you are taking an emerging professional and you're putting them in an internship opportunity, you're able to gauge whether or not that person is going to be a quality future hire. Okay, so there is a predetermined time frame for that internship, if it's three months, if it's six months, whatever it is, okay. And at the end of that completion, the goal is to take that person, you know, full time, you know, in many situations. But if you feel like you haven't seen what you were hoping to get out of that person, then you can respectfully, you know, in that relationship. But that goes both ways. You know, many times the person participating in that internship says, you know what, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Or maybe, you know, I'm enjoying what I do, but this is not the company for me. And I've had an experience to be able to see what I enjoy working here. And so I love that. It's like a, you know, a a date, (laughs) you know, you're dating, right? And then you can see, do I really want to marry, you know, this person? And so you really get a feel for in that internship, if this is the direction that you want to move forward. We were able to really establish these internships with the Louisiana Culinary Institute with the hopes of really growing a partnership. There was also getting exposure 
for our students. And so you might have someone that's attending the school and they're a great student, but they don't know how to seek a job. What, how do I move on past here? And so if you have an internship established, some relationships, then you're really guiding them towards these programs and putting them in a better situation to be able to land that full-time job. Also, you have a lot of career changers, right? And so if you're looking at someone's resume and all their experiences over here, well, when they're applying to this job, it doesn't really look like they might be a fit. You don't have that experience to show. But if you spend some time in that internship, then you're able to show that, hey, I gained some experience. I've now got these recommendation letters. I can show that I would potentially be successful at this opportunity. That is a great distinction that I guess from a connotation standpoint, in my mind, internship is often related to someone who is relatively new to the workforce. So I hadn't thought about it from the perspective of a career changer going and doing an internship necessarily. Maybe in some cases you might call it an apprenticeship. My understanding is that it's much more common in the culinary world to do an internship or an externship, you know, whichever it's called at the particular institution to, to do job placement, right? It doesn't make sense to graduate with a culinary degree and literally like no professional kitchen experience. But now that I say that out loud, I would say maybe that is true of almost any job and degree. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely is more prevalent in some industries than others, but I, I had a great time in my engineering internship. You know, and of course, you know, you're not going to have any engineering experience, most likely, you know, unless you participated in an internship. And there are some programs that offer cooperative agreements. So you would do a semester in school and then take a semester working, you know, at that particular place. And so by the time you've graduated, you might have two years of experience, you know, under your belt working for that organization. So you're coming in at a higher level with a higher pay, you know, and so that's really attractive if you're okay with lengthening the time period that you're that you're in school. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I never really thought about that. I think the last time I thought about it was when I was a, you know, senior in high school, you know, and evaluating, oh, wait, you know, this place it's going to take me five years to graduate from there because you do, you know, all these semesters doing engineering. But I never thought about, oh, but when you graduate and you land at that company, they're not going to hire you at the same level as if you had a degree and no work experience. They're going to hire you as at a higher level and, and you might actually be ahead of the game when it comes to total earnings down the road. Absolutely. And in the IT world, you know, we often see that with boot camps. That's we often see career changes go that direction to boot camps. So if you've been, you know, teaching, you know, for 10 years and you're thinking, I got to get out of this. That's not what I want to do anymore. And you decide to do, you know, a six month boot camp. You know, that's really attractive, you know, for us as recruiters. If we take a look at the investment that you spent in that boot camp versus just someone that's saying, OK, well, I self-taught myself these programming languages or I took a little class on the side. You spent time, you know, in a boot camp and but there are often partnerships with certain boot camps as well for recruitment for that reason. Right, because you, the recruiter, needs to fill a talent pipeline for a need that you have. So it behooves you to partner with these programs who are bringing people into the industry in some way, shape, or form. I would imagine it probably depends on what is involved in the boot camp as to how valuable it's perceived by a recruiter on the other side looking for talent. 
It is, but you know what I will say really speaks volumes is having someone that came from a boot camp that is successful at your organization. So a lot of times we have role model people and they can be folks that are outside of the box and we say, oh, wow, Sarah came from this place and this is what her background is. Let's go find more Sarahs or let's go find more Charles, whatever that situation looks like. And it could be completely different, but we are able to see that that transferred to be successful here. And so, of course, you know, you have those those organizations, those entities that have that brand that's really strong, but really having someone be successful, you know, you know, I would say is that picture perfect role model example of what works for your organization. And the more success you have recruiting those people coming out of something like that, the the more trust there is in that program, I'm guessing. Absolutely. Got it. So was this, uh, I, I don't remember that time frame when this became a thing, but at the culinary school, was there a program to become a, uh, a YouTube food influencer? Was, was that a legitimate career path? No, we did not have anything like that. But my goodness, you're right. I mean, the the occupations today are completely different. I mean, that wasn't on my list. I mean, I didn't add, you know, YouTube star, you know, to my to my checklist of, of potential, you know, great pathways to pursue. Now, we did have students that would practice and it was a part of the curriculum. They did practice being recorded, you know, cooking. Right. So they would be featured on maybe, you know, a news segment or they'd be featured at an event. So they did, you know, really work on their presentation skills, the way that they that they would speak. And and this was, I would say, one of the, the pieces that many of them avoided because they love being in the kitchen as a solo act. But now that they had to speak, OK, and then focus on how do I look? You know, I'm following all my sanitary guidelines at the same time. You know, that was really, really tough to do. But it's so important you know, for, for many of the, the career pathways that they wanted to, to go down. So that's a great question. <laughs> Presentation skills important across so many industries. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not an idle question, right? We've um, found in the tech industry, the more you are able to present yourself and, and stuff that you've done, you know, in public, even if it's pre-recorded and, and you're just doing it on your own, you raise your profile and and it's proof of work to a certain degree. That's really a comment, not a question. A great comment. At some point, you moved on from the culinary school to Accenture. Was that the next move or was it, is there something in between that? Oh, little things here and there in between, but, but that was, you know, my full-time job um, at Louisiana Culinary Institute. And then I did transition to Accenture and that was another one of those life pivots again. So my husband um, had been coaching in Louisiana and he got, you know, his dream opportunity at the time to, to coach at University of Houston for his former coach. And so here we are, oh, wow. we're moving from Louisiana to, to Texas. And I had that same family friend, that mentor, you know, she stepped in and she said, hey, have you thought about looking at Accenture for remote recruitment? And I thought, well, that's perfect. That's, that's what I need to be doing because clearly we're relocating, you know, often enough. And so I need to be able to do something that I can, you know, can take with me very easily. And so I spoke with the, the recruiting team at Accenture and there were two opportunities available, general recruiting and sourcing. And I, I love sourcing because it's, it's a, it's that matchmaker. It's a bit of a treasure hunt, you know, but you're, you know, you're seeking, you know, amazing candidates and then bringing opportunities to them. And then they have the opportunity to either pursue it or not. And, and, and that, and that's fine. You know, 
I feel like you're going out there and you're helping others. And that's what I really enjoyed about the role. And so was at Accenture for four years, um, got to do amazing projects there, got to be involved in a lot of diversity projects. I got to really use a lot of my technical foundation that I learned at the University of Phoenix. While I was there, I, I for a while worked on IT program recruitment. So I learned a lot of IT terminology, you know, learned the skill sets. And then so now I'm at Accenture and I'm generally sourcing IT professionals. And so that was really, you know, a sweet spot for me. And I, I love IT folks. You know, you guys are, are just, you know, straight to the point, you know, really transparent. This is what I'm looking for. You know, let me figure out if this job is, is what I want, you know, and then you kind of go from there. And I really enjoy that about technical sourcing, but I got to, to be involved in so many different initiatives. Accenture has a great culture. If that's a, a huge, you know, organization with many facets. And so there was never a dull day. You know, I might be, you know, sourcing for, you know, a life sciences role and then, you know, looking for an SAP professional the next day and then someone in work day and then someone on the business end. And so that was, was really, you know, a fun opportunity to do that. And I, and I met so many people and I was able to grow even more, you know, in my work. The only piece that was missing in the long run for me when I was there was the fact that I was a contractor. I was still a contractor. And that was just kind of the way that things worked, you know, for that, that portion of the, of the HR division. And so, you know, it didn't matter. I, I thought that I'd done a really great job and my reviews were, you know, were always positive, but, you know, just the structure was, hey, contractor, contractor, contractor. And that was generally what it was across the board. But I was comfortable there because of the people that I worked with. Did the breadth of different types of positions you needed to source for make it more difficult to do that than if you had been given one bubble like programmers or software developers or project managers I actually don't know the answer, but I was really curious, does does the broad swath of possible disciplines for a candidate actually make it harder on the sourcer? It really depends on the personal preference. So I had coworkers that would specialize in one area, and that was just where they would remain you know, for years, they were, you know, the subject matter expert for a particular area, maybe it was, you know, a particular platform, and that's where they wanted to stay. I raised my hand to essentially be a little bit of a floater. Okay, because I enjoyed that. I enjoyed, you know, being able to try something new here and there. Also, I felt like, hey, guys, this is job stability. I'm saying, right, that I'm I'm up for any of these different areas and how great it is to learn more about the organization if I'm sourcing for roles that are in different areas. You know, Accenture is huge, right? It's a huge organization. So if I am learning roles on the life sciences side, and then I'm learning roles on the business side, and then I'm learning roles on the tech side, I'm getting a better understanding of how the organization works. And then I'm able to better direct candidates. It's very common that you're speaking with the candidate, and you may have reached out to them for one particular role. But after you get to know them better, you say, you know what, there might be something else that's better for you at our organization. And you keep looking and you keep looking and then maybe you bring another opportunity 
to that candidate. So I think that if you're open to learning as much as you can, you know, about the organization, you're able to, to, to be a better asset, to add better value for what you do. I like that. That speaks to the generalist specialist divide. I know people in technology sometimes struggle between, should I stay generalist? Should I become specialist? And even if I specialized, am I actually still a generalist? And the the back and forth pull between which one's more valuable to an organization because we've seen organizations that don't value hyper-specialists. They prefer a little more generalized. And some organizations may be the opposite, like minimal generalists and lots and lots of specialists. So appreciate you sharing that perspective. I'm wondering if this is a pattern for you personally to be able to stay flexible and in fact to seek flexibility because you've had to flex in the past and not depend on any one thing? Or is that just uh, me putting on like a pop psychologist hat on? No, I think you've pinpointed it correctly. Early on in my career, I was more structured and then I realized, well, this doesn't really work. I need to be able to give and, and, and sway side to side for, for this to make sense to me. And now I've completely embraced, I believe, flexibility. But I also feel like that keeps it interesting for me. I, I love to be able to participate in different projects. I love to be able to raise my hand and someone say, yes, yeah, sure, you know, please, you know, join us, help over here. I find that to be very interesting and it helps me learn more, you know, about the organization. It helps me learn more about the industry. It, it helps me learn more about trends. And I believe that we have to continue to grow, that we can't just say, hey, this is what I'm going to do. That's what I'm always going to do. I'm not willing to, you know, to pivot in any direction because as we have seen right over the past few years, it's so important to be flexible, to be able to adapt in order to, to be successful. say the way that she defines success in my mind comes from knowing what the non-negotiable things in your life are for Leah it was family time hopefully all of us could say that that we're not willing to sacrifice family time at least to a certain threshold and really she had to do this because she went through a little bit of an identity crisis have you ever been through one of those dear listener when the things that you prepared yourself to do, you actually are not able to do because of some other situation? I mean, I know that I have gone through that identity crisis. I think I've talked about it here on the podcast. I mean, I went to, to college to become an electrical engineer and kind of halfway through figured out that I didn't want to be one. <laughs> and I had to figure out what it was that I was going to do with my life. You mean you didn't go to school to become a professional swing dancer? I thought that was what you had planned. No, no, and it's semi-professional swing dancer. But yeah, I neither of those things did I did I go to school to to be able to pursue. But yeah, it's one of those things that the the upheaval, right? I think maybe especially men, you know, we have this maybe male privilege of hey, you know, my partner's going to follow me, and that's not always true, right? Like I definitely when I moved up to the Bay Area to take a job, my initial presumption was that it was just not possible because my wife would have to move and 
she was the one who actually said, Hey, hold on, let's consider it, you know, because maybe it's enough of a step forward for you that, you know, the step backwards for me would be acceptable. I had a friend and fellow colleague who has a wife who went to medical school and had to change coasts for that. And fortunately worked for an organization where he was able to find another position on the opposite coast. And then I think after she graduated from medical school, she found a, a job in the uh, in Louisiana, I think. So then he had to uh, move from the East Coast to, to Louisiana and was fortunately able to, to find a position at the same company for both those moves. But speaking of flexibility, right, is just, hey, maybe uh, having a, posi a position or a career that's, you know, where you can find a job if your partner needs to move is something to think about. Yeah, and being able to find a job in the event of a layoff. At the time we're recording this, layoffs across the tech industry are top of mind and really across a lot of industries. The thing that I would point out in regard to Leah's survival of a layoff is that she had built and honed skills on the side in addition to her day job to keep her sharp. And then she was also able to gain additional experience by doing different things within the same organization at the Culinary Institute. I think that really helped round out her as someone who's valuable in the marketplace to work for an organization. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, there's a lesson there, right, to, to round out your skills and figure out a way to be valuable, you know, if not to the organization that you currently work at, if they are doing some kind of large and personal layoff, then a set of skills that's going to be valuable to some other company some other organization because, hey, you know, let's face it, there's jobs out there, even, you know, during this time of, of layoffs of, you know, tens of thousands of people being laid off at various companies, it's still a pretty hot job market. And if you have unique skills, then you can still get hired. I feel like we're going to talk about that next week, John. I'll make sure that we don't ruin that. I did want to mention just the idea of sourcing as a subspecialty of recruitment. That's something that I, I wish, you know, listening back, I wish we had asked if it would be a good tactic to reach out to those sourcing people if we were in the job market and looking for jobs. Because those are the people who are specifically reaching out because they haven't been able to fill their candidate pool yet. It sounds like you're saying we should source the sourcers. <laughs> yeah, just see if see if that makes sense you know if you need to raise your profile to a specific group of people it makes sense that you'd want to do that to the people who are looking outside of the candidate pool that they already have i also wanted to mention just once again that that flexibility is you know we kind of closed out this half of the conversation with leah talking about flexibility and and the the role that's played in her career it kind of was an interesting bookend to her introspection about what it was that she needed and the things that she was pursuing. At first it was redefining success. And then part of that, you know, at the end was kind of, Hey, one of the things I need to maintain in my career is flexibility just because, you know, spoken or unspoken, my partner might have to move suddenly and we never know what's going to happen in the industry. Great point. Anything uh, pop into your mind to cover before we get out of here? I don't want to ruin too much for next week. I don't think so. I'm excited about next week. We'll dig more into layoffs and all kinds of other fun stuff and continue Leah's story. 
Just a reminder that we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey. All right. Farewell, listeners, and tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at VJourneyman from Nick Corty at Network Nerd underscore, signing off. Adios.